Forget what you've heard, the Chiefs in Germany isn't the only big headline in town. We've got 30 minutes of other big stories to dissect, from your handy-dandy guide to next week's local elections on both sides of state line, to a new wave of finger-pointing and boiling-point tension over the Royals' new ballpark plan. Is it time to hit the pause button? Those stories and the rest of the week's news, straight ahead. Week in Review is made possible through the generous support of AARP Kansas City, RSM, Dave and Jamie Cummings, Bob and Marlise Gorley, the Courtney S. Turner Charitable Trust, John H. Mize and Bank of America N.A. Co-Trustees, the Restaurant at 1900, and by viewers like you. Thank you. Hello and welcome, I'm Nick Haynes and glad to have you with us on this pre-election edition of Week in Review, lifting the hood on elections and the other meaty issues, grabbing the headlines on both sides of state line. He's been one of the busiest people in Kansas City, coming up for air after dozens of forums and interviewing pretty much every Johnson County candidate for political office. Cal Palmer from the Shawnee Mission Post is with us, tracking the region's top political stories for KCUR News, Brian Ellison, and KCUR News Director Lisa Rodriguez, and rounding out the cozy confines of our Week in Review table, former star reporter and editorial writer Dave Helling. And by the way, if you hear coughing and spluttering or even chairs being thrown at us during the show, it's because we have a live audience of about 40 of our Kansas City PBS Producer Society members here to see how we put this show together. Glad to have you on our weekly journey through the news of our week. Now, just ahead of already polarized local elections on Tuesday, a Kansas judge upends decades of abortion law in the state. Thanks to court action and its recent statewide vote, Kansas already has some of the nation's loosest abortion rules. Now, a Johnson County judge has blocked some of the few remaining restrictions, including a 24-hour waiting period requirement that's been in place for 25 years. When even local races today weighed into national issues from immigration and race to transgender rights, how is this latest abortion bombshell impacting it, if at all, Kyle, some of the contentious council and local mayoral races we have on the Kansas side of state line? Well, you know, like you said, just happened a few days ago, so we haven't seen a lot of on-the-ground impact. Already, you know, candidates were, you know, dividing themselves off into partisan camps in these nominally nonpartisan races. So Democratic and Republican candidates, whether they identify that way, I mean, those parties' positions are pretty clear on abortion, so if a voter wants to use that as a marker for who to vote for, um, for offices that really don't have any impact on abortion policy, then they're, they're welcome to do that. But we haven't seen a lot of that beyond just what you see on campaign floor. Many of us thought we'd sort of ended the abortion issue with the ballot question last year in Kansas. Lisa, why was a judge even bothering to go through this issue again? Well, this was a suit brought by abortion providers um, that dealt with uh, some old, as you said, and some new restrictions that Kansas lawmakers put in place when it comes to abortion. And they argued that it made it uh, that these some of these rules were not based in science. For example, um, rules that require a patient to print out a form in a specific font, in a specific color, in a specific uh, 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 format that, that, made, that meant that abortion providers had to turn people away day of or providing information that was not based in science. Um, and, and so that's why they argue that it made it difficult for people to seek this procedure, which is legal in the state. Brian, most of the energy around abortion right now is on the Missouri side, where they, there's a lot of debate over what that ballot measure may be next year in Missouri, a statewide ballot on the abortion question. But will this 
reignite the abortion issue in Kansas, where we might see another statewide vote in Kansas or an effort to try and rein in judges as a result of this? I'm, I'm not sure, Nick, that it ever stopped being ignited in Kansas. The day after the Supreme Court ruling, legislators in Kansas were already planning the next set of legislative measures that might restrict in some way that is within the Kansas Constitution uh, access to abortion. And that was the why some of these provisions that were challenged in this lawsuit came about. I think there will be more, as well as funding for so-called crisis pregnancy centers, other steps that uh, abortion opponents are taking. Those will continue to be debated in the Kansas legislature, I think, for years to come, uh, as the country as a whole continues to sort this out. The, the, the challenge, Nick, is that Republicans uh, Republicans have re have begun to recognize that this is not the political winner of an issue that it used to be, and so I think they're proceeding with some caution. So you don't see it having an effect in Kansas at the statewide level, where you would see the lawmakers coming back to try and put another oh, no, issue no, on the ballot? That, they, well, I don't know if they'll put something on the ballot anytime soon, Nick, but there will, as Brian points out, uh, be a continued debate about this because there is and was a misunderstanding about what, about what the Kansas Supreme Court actually said. The Kansas Supreme Court did not legalize abortion. It simply said that your rules must meet what's called the strict scrutiny standard. That standard is it has to be a compelling state interest and it has to be the least restrictive way of meeting that uh, state interest. And courts decide that all the time. And so the legislature will continue to probe what strict scrutiny means for abortion regulations in Kansas, and that'll continue in 2024 and the years beyond. I don't think it'll go back to voters anytime soon because it's difficult in Kansas and because the voters were pretty loud and clear in August of last year. Now, early in-person voting continues this week ahead of next Tuesday's local elections. Let's start in Kansas. Rows of local school board and council seats are up for grabs on Tuesday. A number of local cities are picking new mayors, including in Leewood, where Peggy Dunn is calling it quits after being one of our region's longest-serving leaders. From Blue Valley to Leavenworth, the teaching of race and gender in the classroom are dividing candidates in contentious school board races. And sharp divides over affordable housing and zoning laws are heating up council races in Prairie Village. Alrighty, Kyle Palmer, what's the race or trend that you are fixated on on election night? Well, I mean, you just mentioned it in the video, but I mean, I think the Prairie Village City Council race is kind of a harbinger for what uh, housing policy could be realistically tackled in Johnson County. So I think a lot of other cities in Johnson County, city officials in places like Overland Park, Lenexa, and elsewhere are watching to see the results in Prairie Village. Um, to well, what, see what's really at stake here? Yeah. Is it possible that there would be no more apartment complexes ever built in Prairie Village as a result of this election? Uh, in a word, no. Uh, okay. But so that was, uh, you know, the, the apartment kind of specter has been brought up by the opponents to the Prairie Village's housing recommendations, but that was never a realistic possibility. It was never on the table. Um, but that has been brought up. It's certainly in campaign rhetoric and campaign flyers that you read. Um, but, I mean, I will say from an outsider's perspective watching this, the, the, the proposed changes that the city at least dipped their toe into a year ago were relatively modest. They have walked back a lot of those recommendations because of the pushback they've received from this group of residents. And so now some of those uh, residents are now running for office um, trying to challenge those recommendations. And so 
it will set the tone for how the city approaches housing in the future, but no specific policies about apartments being built in certain places of the city. Like, that's not going to happen anytime soon, but there is definitely a, a, a tone, uh, a tenor to how uh, housing will be discussed in Johnson County and Prairie Village. Is political, is the housing issue now really become the biggest political dividing line now in local elections? Because I see it also in the Wyandotte County races for commissioner, affordable housing, one of the top issues. Shawnee has also tried to block apartment complexes, block co-sharing where people don't, who don't, uh, you know, are not related to each other can live together. Uh, is this now the biggest dividing line when it comes to local I, I think I think in local races it is one of the biggest issues and one that that voters really do care about and I think a lot of it boils down to in each community what identity this each community purports to have we've heard discussions in Leewood um, and some candidates even saying we want to remain an exclusive a luxury community we've heard rhetoric in Prairie Village about it you know the moniker perfect village and, and this is and we want to maintain the character that we have of course there are lots of layers to those arguments as well but certainly at the same time we're seeing in the suburbs a lack of affordable housing and so it's about access and who gets to live in these communities as well I, I think it's also worth noting the way that that, as a dividing line, it transcends, it cross-cuts other partisan or other ideological dividing lines. You have Democrats in, in Leewood, or people who have identified previously as, as Democrats, uh, identifying with this luxury uh, community line. Uh, and in Prairie Village, I think, uh, to Kyle's point, uh, you know, there, is, there are six city council seats on the ballot. There are not going to be enough votes to shift policy overnight, but I really do believe that, that everyone is watching how these issues are discussed, what buttons they're pushing with voters. It's going to change the tenor of the conversation, even among the city council members who are not on the ballot this election cycle but who have to make some important decisions in the next two and four years. One other thing we've heard is a big trend is the fact that we've had that nationalization of these local elections. We have local parties, Democrats and Republicans, now putting out their own slates of candidates, sending out mailers saying, even for water board and school district, these are our Democratic candidates, these are our Republican right. candidates. Are we now at a stage where we need to rip the Band-Aid off and say, let's not have this pretense anymore, uh, let's just have partisan elections uh, because yeah. people are, are going are seeing through it all. For some voters, we must say this, it is helpful in some ways because uh, you have so many elections and so many candidates among whom you must decide and sometimes party identification can be a shortcut to understanding a worldview of a candidate so you don't have to dig deeply yeah. into backgrounds and voting records. You can just say, ah, I generally agree with Republicans, generally agree with Democrats. So I think it's a trend that will yeah. continue. Because you are dealing with hundreds of races from water district, school board, council right. races. Will there be an effort to try and push that again? I know it has happened in the past where we want to have back to party labels for candidates. I mean, certainly some candidates have pushed that idea. And I mean, the, the political parties themselves, I mean, I take the line that, that Dave articulated that, you know, this is a way, this is a helpful tool for, for voters to understand a, a candidate's position. Uh, when maybe they are, you know, running for offices and and talking about arcane issues that they they don't they don't normally pay attention to, but there is also certainly certainly a segment of voters who is turned off by this, who is bothered by this. Um, they still hold on to this idea that these these offices should be nonpartisan, and they they chafe at the idea of political parties being so directly involved. And I think that's becoming especially true when we move from city council elections to school board elections, where I think for generations we've said, well, clearly that's an area that should be nonpartisan, and yet. Yeah. 
that is where we're seeing some of the strongest partisan divides, where the slates of Republicans are talking about things like uh, the teaching of race, the teaching of sexuality, and the slates of Democrats are focused on uh, on accreditation standards and other, other issues. We're, we're seeing uh, areas that we never thought of as partisan arenas uh, have become that. Now, I think it's interesting, too, we need to remember, and we, we've seen this in Johnson County uh, especially, often those, uh, those municipal elections are sort of the proving grounds for future partisan elections, people who will go on to serve in the in the legislature, for example. And so it, it serves a purpose for the political parties as well as uh, potentially for the voters who are trying to get some sort of shorthand help. Now, in Missouri, there are tons of issue questions on the ballot. Kansas City voters will be deciding whether to renew a sales tax that funds the bus service. Without it, transit leaders warn the KCATA will be forced to cut weekend and night service to some bus routes and eliminate others entirely, with billions of dollars now flowing in from the federal government for transit-related projects. Is that just election scaremongering, Lisa? I, I don't think it's scaremongering because I think the federal dollars coming in on tr for federal for transportation projects are designed for new initiatives and not just sustaining ongoing service. The KCATA does get a significant portion of their budget from this tax. And so I do think it's it's fair to say that we would see a reduction in bus service in Kansas City if it doesn't pass. Um, at the same time, the, the KCATA has been dealing with lots of financial issues and questions we haven't quite seen the answers to. So, um, and, and bus service as it is, isn't ideal, it isn't the most efficient. So I do think it'll be interesting to see how voters, uh, how voters act on this issue and whether they believe in their bus system. Some are questioning why during uh, Mayor Quinton Lucas's first term they made bus service free in Kansas City, eliminated all fares. That was bringing in about $12 million a year. If money is such an issue, uh, why did they do, do away with that? Well, $12 million isn't that large a portion okay. of the overall budget. The reality is that uh, the, the number of people who are turned away from access to buses by having to pay for them might be greater than the, the money that is saved. In practice, the tax is a, is a far more important important source of income for our buses. There was concern also in the, the bus tax, Dave, that there may be efforts by the city to take some of the money that goes to the bus service to put to other types of transit-related matters, from possibly a trail, uh, train link to the airport or uh, east-west streetcar lines. H how can we guarantee that money for a bus tax well, would actually go strictly for that? Yeah, well, I, because the people who run the bus service are uh, pretty uh, zealous about protecting their access to that money. Otherwise, they do have to start shutting down some service routes and that becomes a problem for the entire community. So I think the argument is, has been for some time, that bus service, bus transit, is an essential city service. Like uh, cleaning the streets or having a police department or a fire department and your taxes should pay for it. We should point out that this is a sales tax. Sales taxes are regressive. They tend to uh, hurt the poor more than the rich and that may be a factor as people go to the polls. It's interesting on the transit issue, it seems that every week there's a different headline saying there's more money coming out of the Biden administration to fund transit-related projects. But there was also a headline about Johnson County, uh, Kyle, in the Shawnee Mission Post, about also looking to cut back service to the bus there, uh, uh, actually raise or even put fares back on the popular bus route from Johnson County Community College to KU. So they're also having transit-related issues there. Yeah, and these are preliminary discussions, but it, it is kind of a, a result of the fact that um, Johnson County has seen uh, trends and patterns in ridership change drastically over the last three or four years. They've seen an explosion in the use of so-called microtransit, which is uh, like ride hailing. You can call a small bus, kind of like a public Uber. Um, so they're thinking about raising rates on those rides, uh, but then also um, 
doing something with some more traditional bus routes that are not getting as much ridership as they used to. And so, yeah, there is a, a, changing, a changing pattern in how uh, the, the people in Johnson County who do use public transit are using it. Just a quick note, Nick, we, and this election sort of shows uh, the, or, or is proof of this idea that public transit does not pay for itself anywhere. I mean, you don't, there's no community in America where the fare box pays the cost of moving lots of people from point A to point B. Kansas City, Johnson County, Wyandotte County, other areas are all proof of that. It does require some sort of taxpayer subsidy. The question is always how, sh how big should that subsidy be and where should it come from? And who pays for it? And who pays for it? In Clay County, 911 responses on the ballot. We've been hearing a lot in the headlines about massive wait times to be connected to dispatchers. If you agree to a $1 a month charge on your wireless phone at the ballot box in Clay County, are they guaranteeing the response will be better, Brian? They're not guaranteeing it, but they are, in fact, committing to spend some of that newly raised fee money on new technology, technology that is more suited to the kinds of emergencies that might be reported from a person's cell phone and not from a landline. The, the percentage of calls that are coming in from landlines at this point is, is uh, I believe it was 11%. It's almost nothing now. The, the reality is that, that voters are, and and, and because that's how they funded it through yeah, the landline. Right, and yeah. it's, where the, it's how they're making their calls. It makes sense to charge that fee to, to phones. At least that's the argument county officials are making. But the point that they're making is that right now the, the, the landline tax is not actually covering anywhere near the cost of 911 services. And those monies are coming from other portions of Clay County's general budget. This would bring it more into a, a realistic uh, It sounds like the arguments we're hearing about the gas tax and what we should do with yes. electric vehicles because less money's coming in. So that's at stake in... Uh, Clay County, uh, over the last couple of years, we've seen uh, counties all over our metro uh, placing online sales tax measures on the ballot to capture the revenue they're losing out on. When you shop online on Tuesday, Jackson County is finally looking to close the sales tax loophole, charging you local taxes when you snag that cute necklace on Etsy or that winter jacket from that online store on the West Coast. Jackson County says they'll use the money for homeless projects and renovations at its two courthouses. But stop the presses, Stacey Lake, who ran against Jackson County Executive Frank White is encouraging voters to reject the measure, saying Jackson County is swimming in cash. It doesn't need the money. Is she right? And how do we know the county will spend the money where they say they will? Well, is, is she right? Well, I think certainly there's always merit in looking at account how a county is, is spending money. But Jackson County really does, as you mentioned, join a lot of counties in Missouri and over the country who are adopting this, uh, this use tax on, on online sales out of the state. So it's not super um, extraordinary that Jackson County is doing it now. But one of the reasons that a county executive, Frank White, vetoed this measure when the legislature passed it was specifically because it outlines specific uses for this money, including for homeless services, including for renovations at the courthouse. Um, the legislature overrode him and put it on there anyway. So if it is on the ballot, I believe the county does need to use it for these purposes. Well, and I think that that reflects broader tensions in the Jackson County Legislature and Jackson County uh, more broadly over, uh, it, it reflects levels of trust in the county executive and in how money is being spent. But but for the most part, Jackson County leaders, even those who are not huge fans of, of, uh, of Frank White, have sort of Come, come out in support of this plan across the board. I think a lot of us got the flyer. With, They're not going to be punishing the county over the property assessment mess? I, I don't think they are, and that was why Frank White said he wanted to delay the vote on okay. this until the November election instead of August. It seems like uh, the kind of tax that doesn't affect the taxpayers here themselves all that much.
Now, as we end our week, we're waiting for the next shoe to drop this week in the ongoing stadium saga. It's getting ugly. Behind-the-scenes tensions are spilling over into public view. Last week, a confidential memo from the Jackson County Executive's Office was leaked, claiming the price tag for the stadium would be billions dollars more than what the club has estimated. The Kansas City Royals blasted the numbers as erroneous. Mayor Quinton Lucas pushed back, saying that if true, the Royals would be constructing the most expensive ballpark ever built. With such a breakdown of trust, is there any evidence, Dave, that the Royals or Jackson County officials are now going to be hitting the pause button? Well, I've said for some time that I think April is very optimistic for a vote either in Clay County or Jackson County. I think it'll be more likely in November of next year. The, the county and the team has about 12 weeks to figure all of this out in order to hit the end of January deadline for an April vote. I'm just not sure they're going to get there because these questions are very difficult and Nick your viewers should know that the Royals situation is much more complicated in some ways than the Chiefs if the Chiefs were a standalone entity they went to the county that would be a pretty cut and dried negotiation but in this case with the baseball team they're moving its new construction there are questions about uh, how much the team will contribute the league won't contribute much unlike the NFL which has a stadium fund so the questions that uh, frankly should have been answered a year ago are still on the table and that's why I think April remains an optimistic. Are there any secret overtures going on in Kansas to say let's escape the drama and let's move over there? Would they escape the, dra the drama if they came to Johnson County though? I mean, I mean we, when we have a new Scooter's Coffee we have people lining up for public comments so I can't imagine what it would be like if you had a, a baseball Can, stadium <laughs> proposed. I've said this on the show before but I'd like to say it again. Asking Jackson County to provide for a loan to provide for the stadium needs of two professional sports franchises is an extraordinary ask because the costs are so high. Stadiums are in the billions of dollars now, not the hundreds of millions. And to ask Jackson Countyans without the help of Johnson or yep. Wyandotte, Clay and Platt is an enormously complicated, difficult issue and won't be solved by a couple of meetings. Like I did that. meet with Kurt Skoog, the Overland Park mayor, who happens to be the head of the Bi-State Commission currently, the chair of that, and I asked him that question. He said he's heard nothing yeah. from anyone about this, so uh, I don't think there's going to be any shared tax revenue coming still, from there Kansas. There still is an open space at the corner of Johnson Drive and and Roe Boulevard down, <laughs> in downtown Mission. There's the solution. <laughs> All right. Maybe the Royals could move to Frankfurt. Maybe that would be a okay. good thing for them as well. Hey, don't, don't tempt them. Now, when you put a program like this together every week, you can't get to every story grabbing the headlines. What was the big local story we missed? More than 2,000 idled auto workers finally back on the job at the GM Fairfax plant that after General Motors reaches a deal with the union to give workers a 25% pay bump. More Republicans calling for the Missouri House Speaker to resign, the chamber's top leader embroiled in an expense scandal. This is big. More than 200,000 homeowners in Kansas and Missouri could be getting a big windfall after a federal jury in Kansas City finds realtors have been inflating their commissions. The National Association of Realtors ordered to pay $1.8 billion in damages. The verdict could change the fee structure for buying and selling homes for everyone. Union Station announces its latest blockbuster exhibit, Disney 100, marking the 100th anniversary of the Walt Disney Company. It's currently making its world premiere at the Franklin Institute in Philadelphia. It'll be here next year. From Denver to Deutschland, the Kansas City Chiefs now in Germany for the NFL's first game in Frankfurt. Sporting KC continues its playoff run at Children's Mercy Park. 
And this may be overkill, but just a reminder, it's clock changing time again. On Sunday, we will fall back and gain an extra hour of sleep. Alrighty, before we ask our reporters for their pick, we have a late-breaking entry to consider. If you already thought it was tough to get people who disagree with each other to sit in the same room together, look at what happened this week at a Kansas City library forum featuring two historians trying to educate the public about the Israeli conflict. The chanting and the disruption worked. The event at the downtown library was cancelled 20 minutes after it began. Did you pick one of those stories or something completely different, Lisa? More drama in Shawnee, Kansas yes. this week. The city manager now on administrative leave after the city council was, uh, was became aware of a lewd video that had been sent to some uh, city employees. This just another symptom of of dysfunction in Shawnee city government uh, between the city council and the mayor and may factor into elections next week, maybe not, but, but we'll certainly see. You were being kind by saying lewd. Some people would say sexually explicit right. on that, Kyle. Yeah, and that, that, that was actually the one that I was going to say as well. I mean, I think it, the electoral consequences of that late-breaking news will remain to be seen on Tuesday, but it's been a long-standing issue within Shawnee City Hall, um, city turnover, uh, high-level staffers leaving, tensions within the city council, and so um, this latest uh, ado or kerfuffle, if you want to call it that, um, could indeed have implications for those who are still yet to decide who they're going to vote for in that city council. It's also an implication of early voting because a lot of people vote early in Johnson yeah, County and they don't have a chance to even weigh that, in on these matters when they started, come in just before the election. And that started last weekend and that will continue this weekend so certainly other, some people have already cast their ballots. Yes. Brian. Uh, you mentioned uh, the, the Missouri House Speaker Dean Plocker calls for his resignation after uh, questions about expense reports that he submitted that had already been paid for by his campaign. I think that story to some extent will blow over. It wasn't a huge amount of money we're talking about. But what I think that story revealed, Nick, is the deep fissures within the Missouri Republican Party. Uh, it did not take long for other elected officials and other candidates for office to go hard after Dean Plocker, call on him to resign, for him to uh, respond with uh, some very snappy comebacks criticizing them. Uh, I think Missouri Republicans, who of course remember have supermajority control of both the House and the Senate and every single statewide elected office, um, are themselves going to start having to separate out their divisions, maybe in a way that we've seen in Washington, D.C as the Republicans there have shown their divisions too. And Dave. Vacancy rates in Kansas City office buildings continue to climb. The nature, 13 year high. Yes, the, the nature of office work in urban areas is changing dramatically after COVID and it's a trend this city will have to deal with going forward uh, in terms of its incentives and also because of its employment base and the earnings tax and other things in terms of how people work here. And then if I could go international for a minute, the Beatles have a new record out now and then and it's great. Alrighty, and on that we will say our week has been reviewed courtesy of KCUR's Lisa Rodriguez and Kyle Palmer from the Shawnee Mission Post. On the KCUR political beat, Brian Ellison and former star news hound, Dave Helling. And I'm Nick Haynes from all of us here at Kansas City PBS. Be well, keep calm, and carry on.